In his great and glorious name we pray. Amen. Mankind has always had a fascination with the incredible. Engineering feats that defy belief. Works of art that speak to the soul. Scientific discoveries that change the world. Scenes of nature that awaken our senses. We call them wonders. But the greatest wonders of all time were the miracles performed by one man almost 2,000 years ago. The world had never seen anything like it before, nor has it since. So let's be amazed again at the seven wonders of the world. Well, there is a buzzword that's out there that I'll share here in just a second, and it's not going to catch you by surprise because I'm sure you have heard it several times in uh, the last year, especially, but uh, stretching back for a while now, and that word is wellness. We talk a lot about wellness in our world, and we talk about that in the context of being healthy, but not just physically. We talk about being healthy emotionally and being healthy relationally and being healthy um, socially, and even being healthy uh, spiritually. And we're talking about wellness. It's more than just feeling good. It's like being whole and, and, and being well as a person. I think through the pandemic, um, we've experienced some unhealthiness, maybe that surprised us a little bit, uh, different maybe from the past. There was those blurred lines between work and home, and I rem remember even back from the time that we were working at home, I was working at home, is, is that my, my workspace and the refrigerator were way too close to each other, and that became a, a problem, and there was these lines blurred between work and home. There was a lot of stress that, that came with it too, even as a pastor and trying to figure out how do we navigate through this. Uh, my brother-in-law, John, is, is up visiting right now, but he's a He's in charge of a Christian school and trying to figure out all of the ways that you deal with COVID at a school there, and that brought a lot of stress. I think it minimalized social interactions. I went almost a year and a half without seeing my daughter just because we couldn't get out there to, to Los Angeles to see her, um, and, and all kinds of things that came with that, from bad exercise habits to, to binge-watching things to, to not being able to get out of our pajamas during the day. And we lost some of that sense of wellness in our lives. But even without the pandemic, I think that this is an issue. In fact, it's such an issue that we spend as, as a, uh, I don't know if it's Americans or as the world, but it's $3.4 trillion that we spend every year on the wellness uh, industry. And that's from anything from wellness coaches and counselors to wellness uh, clinics where you can go in and they'll give you a, a, a detox and flush your system, to wellness centers where they will teach you things like mindfulness or yoga or even the, the therapeutic benefits of shrieking and screaming. I was uh, researching this a little bit this week. I came across a book that was written back several years ago called Wellmania, The Misadventures in the Search for Wellness. And let me just read the little... Uh, tag that, that went with this, cold-pressed juices, hot yoga, quitting sugar, paleo, mindfulness. If you embrace these things, you will be happy. You will be well. Just ask Instagram. For cele from celebrity vegan chefs to sleep gurus, there is no shortage of people trying to sell us the wellness dream. 
Wellness has become a billion dollar industry, but what does wellness even mean? Does any of this stuff actually work? Is there a science behind it? Feeling exhausted and a bit stressed and flabby, journalist Bridget Delaney decides to find out, using herself as the guinea pig. Starting with a brutal 101-day fast, Bridget tells the things that are meant to make us well. Yoga classes, colonics, colonics, I don't know how you say that word, meditation, Balinese healing, silent retreats, and group psychotherapy, and all sorts of what works and what is just expensive hype, like shrieking and screaming. She asks, what does this obsession say about us? Is total wellness possible or even desirable? Where's the fun in it all, and why do you smell so bad when you haven't eaten in seven days? And so she's written this book, and she made it her passion to travel throughout the world and would explore each of these wellness solutions. And she describes herself as a wellness junkie. And, uh, but for all of us, the truth is this, is that we need to be, and maybe we've become even more aware than ever, of the need for personal wellness. Uh, to, to say like, hey, I'm doing okay mentally, I'm doing okay emotionally, I'm doing okay physically, I'm doing okay spiritually. But most of us, if truth is told, we're not super good at finding inner health. And if we're honest, we could use a little bit more wellness. And some of our struggles are very much uh, legitimate. It's not just stress that, that leads to this. Sometimes we, we deal with, with trauma in our lives. Sometimes we deal with actually injury where, where we have relationships that, that go bad and, and, and maybe um, we've been rejected or we've been abused or, or we've been betrayed and there is that lingering hurt that, that remains there and that becomes a wellness issue. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've just been asked to put out and to put out and to put out, and there's, there's been no respite, and there's been no reward for that, and you feel a little bit burnt out. Well, well that is a legitimate uh, situation where you may be struggling, though, with, with wellness. It could be a toxic relationship with a partner. It could be with a boss. It could be with somebody else in your family. It could be disappointment. It could be failure. It could be some issue that you've dealt with that has just depleted you and you feel emotionally frayed and you feel maybe distracted or you're bouncing from one extreme to the other. But you, if you're completely honest, sit there this morning and say, well, not exactly well this morning. And I'm not exactly healthy in every area of my life and I know that and I feel that and I sense that and so... I would ask this question, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I'm not the first person to ask that question. In fact, I'm quoting exactly a question that Jesus asked. I'm getting reverb up here. Is anybody else getting that too? Can we try to, I don't know what's going on there. Is it my mic? Do I need to move it? Test that out, and if, if needs be, I can switch to a different one. But Jesus was actually the first person to ask this question. And so I'm quoting him exactly what he said in John chapter 5. So let me encourage you to turn with me there this morning, John chapter 5. And as you're turning, let me just give me the 30-second the review here. John's gospel is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three wrote what we call the synoptic gospels, and they basically cover the same material from some different perspectives. John's gospel 
however, is about 93% originally. It doesn't cover a lot of the things that were covered in those first Gospels. Instead, he goes off in a different path. There's about 35 of the, the uh, miracles that are mentioned by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John collectively. John only covers seven of those in his book. He doesn't cover parables. And he just focuses on this idea of how to present Jesus as God. In fact, this is interesting. By the time that John writes the book here, Paul has already done all of his writing. So all of those epistles, uh, Romans and the Corinthians and Ephesians, Galatians, all of those, and, and all of the other authors of the New Testament have finished their writings. And then John kind of comes in and writes his five books, John, then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. But he's the last author of the New Testament. And this book is one of the last books that's written in the New Testament. And it seems to be a little bit of an apologetic about Jesus, who he was. And it seems to be as a way to address the church and to say, hey, this is, this is who Jesus is and who he should be in your life. And so when we look at the book of John, it's always to present who Jesus is. And when we look at these miracles, though, John called them signs because he doesn't want us to just focus on the miracle. He wants us to focus on the miracle worker. And so, this morning we turn to the next miracle, and it's a sign. And it's not just to tell us about the miracle, but it's to tell us about the person who does the miracle. So let's read about it here in John chapter 5, verse number 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem from, uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. And from our story that we looked at last week to this story, some time has elapsed. Jesus has been up in Galilee and Canaan and different places in Galilee. Now he's going back to Jerusalem. And when he went back to Jerusalem, he stepped into a more risky situation. Jerusalem was where the religious leaders were at the time. And when he was, anytime he was in Jerusalem, the, the um, intensity and, and the tension rose between the Jewish leaders and between Jesus. And so a lot of the, his ministry was in Galilee because there was just a lot less tension there. So choosing to go back to Jerusalem, even to this feast, to this festival, you know that these tensions would rise. And so he's heading back there with that possibility. Now near Jerusalem, verse number 2, near the Sheep Gate, there's a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which actually means the Pool of Mercy, which is fitting for the story that we look at today. And it was surrounded by five covered colonnades, porches with roofs over them, and the people would gather around this pool. So that's verse number three. And most of your versions here, verse number four is missing. And verse number four just tells us what's going on at that pool. And, and many scholars believe it was inserted later just to clarify the, the story here. But here is what was going on. These, this pool uh, collected the people who were sick and infirm and, and invalids and cripples and blind and whatever because they believed that the waters there had some healing properties to them. Specifically, they believed that an angel would come and stir the waters. Now, this is probably sitting over a spring, and so the waters probably bubbled up. And, and the thought was when the, the waters bubbled up, the angel was stirring the waters, and whoever could be first into the pool would get healed. And so we have these seven porches, or excuse me, five porches surrounding the pool, where all these, these people who have physical maladies are sitting and they're waiting for that pool to bubble up so they can be the first one in there. And this is the setting that Jesus walks into. So he walks into a very, very needy situation. 
Um, verse number five here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Sorry, verse number three. Uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse number five, one who had been there was an invalid for 38 years. Now when Jesus saw him lying there, learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now that seems like a funny question. Because if I'm at the pool, I probably came because I want to get well. And if I've been 38 years in invalid, I probably really want to get well. And so to me, it comes across a little bit of a funny question, but Jesus, I think, is trying to get this guy's attention, saying, hey, it doesn't have to be the way that it's been. And for us this morning, it doesn't have to be the way that it's been. And so when Jesus asked this question of a lame man here, an invalid, to say, do you want to get well? I think the idea is that we transfer this question over to us today to say, hey, do you want to get well? Because it doesn't have to be the way that it's been. And there's a ton of hope then in this story. So do you want to get well? What is the problem or the concern or the challenge of the malady that you come with this morning and say, well, if I'm completely honest, I could use some healing in my story because I believe this story points us in some directions. Some directions of what not to do and then some direction of how we can find wellness and then we want to finish with just even some practical things that we can tackle here this morning. My brother Rick for, uh, for a couple years worked in a um, uh, facility in downtown South Bend, Indiana, working with people with addictions, homelessness, people were just down on their luck and they would come into this residential facility and they would try to help them get back on their feet and it was, it was very much faith-based. But they used to ask a question there which, which is always stuck in my mind. They would say to people, they would come into the hope, they called it, do you want to get better or do you want to get by? Do you want to get better or do you want to get by? If you just want to get by, we're not probably going to be helpful to you here. But if you want to get better, there can be some help. And so I would ask that same question, do you want to get well, but do you want to get better or you just want to get by? Well, we keep reading here in verse number seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And unfortunately, we can't read the inflection here. So I don't know how this man is saying this phrase, and I wish I did, because it would really color the story for us. Is he saying it like pitifully, like, just, I don't have anybody to help me, and when the pool water stirred, I, I try to get in, and nobody, and, or is it that, or is it like, I don't have anybody to help me. When the pool water stirred, I mean, I got no chance. I mean, somebody's always, we don't really know, but you sense the angst here, in the guy's situation. So then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. And then we get a by the way, which is not really a by the way, but it's this story took place on a Sabbath. And so what evidently happens here is Jesus goes down to Jerusalem and he could pick really any time he wanted to to go visit this pool, but instead he picks the Sabbath knowing that he's going there to see a whole bunch of people that need healing, and he's really kind of poking the bear because he's going to go in there and he's going to do this healing on the Sabbath and he knows it's going to tick off the religious leaders because they're going to be there. And sure enough, the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. That's great, isn't it? 
This guy's been an invalid for 38 years. He's up walking around. Do the, do the religious leaders look at him and say, that is so awesome. You have been healed. We're so excited. You know, just to be careful, you might want to put down that mat because the law forbids that and you're not going to need it anyhow. They don't do that. They're like, why are you carrying that mat? You better, you know, that's against the law. And so they jump all over this guy and this guy's like, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. The man didn't realize that it was Jesus that had healed him. Now think about that for a minute. What does that tell us about this miracle? This is not a faith transaction. This man didn't say, oh, you're Jesus. You're finally here. You came. I believe you're Jesus. Can you heal me? He didn't know who Jesus was. And so Jesus healed this man. This miracle took place into as best we could tell here, there was no faith involved in this man saying, well, I believe you. It's crazy, isn't it? But it teaches us a really important thing, and we've said this uh, last week, and we'll probably say it as we continue through this series. Every, er every miracle is an act of grace. Every single miracle that we see in the Bible is, is an act of grace. And every miracle that we experience in our lives is an act of grace. And we've sung a lot this morning about grace. But the idea is that Jesus does step into our stories. Jesus does make us well. And it's always an act of grace. You don't earn it. You don't have to be good enough for it. Jesus looks at us and says, hey, let me help you. Well, the story goes on here. Verse number 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And this verse really completes the story because it's a two-part miracle. The first part is the man experiences physical healing. But he doesn't even know who Jesus is. There's no faith involved in that. And so he goes on his way. Jesus disappears in the crowd, but Jesus comes back out and meets him and really introduces himself and says, this is who I am. He says, stop sinning. The point here is what? He's like, you need a physical healing, but you need spiritual healing as well, and I can do that for you too. And that's this wellness thing that comes full circle. It's physical, it's a mental and emotional, maybe even relational, but it's also spiritual here. And so this man finally experiences this spiritual healing, and then he goes off and he says to the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. And I think, and we can't prove this, but I think it's like he went and found him and said, hey, I know who it is now. It's Jesus. And that probably didn't set real well with those leaders, but I don't think he really cared at that point because he had experienced some healing. But this story reveals some things that we try along the way, oftentimes to find healing in our own stories, and they're not effective. But then it does show us what is effective. But let's just identify five of those things as we go here. First of all, Feeling for, sorry for yourself is not going to make you well. You cannot get well by feeling sorry for yourself. And that's where I say I wish we could read what this guy's attitude was and the, the voice inflection. But as he sat there, and I don't know how long he sat there, but he'd been 38 years in this condition, there's probably a lot of self-pity that went on. And we do that too sometimes. When we're injured, when we're hurting, it's poor me. Look what just happened to me. Look what I'm going through. And we feel bad for ourselves, but it doesn't get us anywhere. The problem with our pretty parties is 
they're not very well attended. Usually it's just you. And it doesn't really make us feel any better. Maybe for that moment we kind of get the, this satisfactory you know, relief, like, well, I, this bad thing happened and I deserve to feel this way. I don't know. But it doesn't change anything in a positive way. But we go there, don't we? It's like, well, you know, nobody else is dealing with us like I am, and we just get into those mindsets. I, I've told this story before, but, but I think it's worth telling again. Uh, when, I, when I lost some of this hearing and I, and I got a hearing aid, they were like, here's the condition, we can get you this hearing aid, but you have to go to the hearing aid class. Did you know there was such a thing? And uh, like, you know, this is a one-day seminar that we're going to talk about this, and I'm like, what in the world do you talk about for like eight hours at the hearing aid class? But I was like, okay, I'll go. And that's, that, that's what I have to do. And so I went there, and I still remember the, the woman who was leading it. She walked in, and, and uh, she did a great job, by the way. It was a fascinating class. And you can talk about it for eight hours. But she walked in, and she said, here's the first thing I need to say to you. You're all here this morning because of the same thing. You've lost some of your hearing. Let me tell you this. It's not coming back. You're never going to get it again. So stop feeling sorry for yourselves. And we all just stood up and walked out in anger. <laughs> we did it, but you know what? I needed to hear that so much because I've been like, oh, poor me. You know, I'm never going to hear this you know, well again. But that's, I think, what we need to be reminded from this story is, hey, you know what? There are things that happen. You can't change them. And it leaves you hurt and it leaves you injured and you may just have to say, you know what, this is unfortunate but I'm not going to feel sorry for myself in this situation. Second thing here, blaming others won't make you well either. Can't get well by blaming others. As Jesus said, do you want to get well? What's the first thing the guy said? Nobody's here to help me. And every time I try to get in the pool, somebody else runs in front of me and he starts pointing fingers at all the people around him. But how many times do we do that in our situations when things aren't going well or things have happened to us and we suffer an injury or we're, we're dealing with this, these wellness issues? We're like, well, if he would just do that or do you know what she said to me or they acted this way and we have all these different ways that we point at other people, but it's not going to make you well. And this guy was into that situation where he was playing the victim card but here's the problem with that. When we do that, we absolve ourselves of personal responsibility. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, I don't have to be responsible. It's not my fault. It just happened to me. But it doesn't just take away our personal responsibility. It takes away our personal ability, too. And we lose our power to actually do something about it. And so we just kind of become whatever happens, happens. And that's just really not how we should live. You know, other people play a part in our hurts. There's no doubt about that. My sister's up visiting, you know, um, we've had our hurts too. And, you know, like our parents hurt us. Uh, my parents were good people. But, you know, we still, you know, have those hurts. And, and maybe your parents are like that. Or maybe it's a mate or a boss. Or maybe it's just somebody else who sits in this room. And people do hurt us. But we're not going to find healing if we're waiting for them to fix it. And if we're blaming other people. You can't get well by getting in the pool. Think about this. This guy does get well in the story, right? He never got wet. He never got to the pool. 
And there's no guarantee that if he did get to the pool that he was going to get well. We don't really know the truth and the veracity of this story. Was it just a legend? You know, it was just kind of like a false hope. We don't know. But he didn't need to get in the pool. But sometimes we think that there are certain things that have to happen in our lives that are going to fix us. And so we need to fix this circumstance. We need to get in the pool. We need to get, uh, we need to get a different job. We need to get a different boss. We need to get a different uh, mate. We need to get different kids. I don't know how you do that one. But we, you know, we have all these different things that we need to do that are going to make it better for us. If we could get more money or if the, the Lions would just you know, win a playoff game. We have all these different things that are going to solve our issues. If we could just get to the pool. But the pool isn't going to solve your issues as well. You can't get well or not completely well by taking up your mat. This is interesting to me in this story. Jesus gave this guy instructions that here's this is something you can do here. And this is kind of crazy. He's been 38 years where he couldn't walk. How did all of a sudden he know that he could stand up? I don't know. He must have just felt it. But I mean, there'd be like no muscle tone there or anything. But Jesus still said, hey, I need you to do this. You need to stand up. So Jesus gave him that instruction, and this guy stood up. But that didn't still solve his problem. Because Jesus had to come back to him later on, right, and say, hey, let's talk about the spiritual situation that you're facing right here. But there's a little bit of our mindset sometimes it's like, you know what, I just got to tough this one up. You know, like I got knocked down, people get knocked down, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself, I'm not going to blame anybody else, I'm just going to take responsibility here and I'm going to get myself up and I'm going to tough this out. But that's not ultimately going to make you well. Now it's better than doing nothing and I think you can make some progress in that direction. But I'm not sure that that completely fixes the hurt and I'm not sure it completely fixes your heart. Well, what else do we try? Well, you can't get, well... By religion. And the Jewish leaders were there and they had all of their rules, but they weren't making anybody any better. In fact, I don't really know exactly what that guy thought he was supposed to do. You know, I guess drop the mat and run or, or whatever. But I think part of the reason that Jesus picked the Sabbath is to make a point. All of your rules, all of your religion, that's not going to make you better either. In observing the law or living uh, by all these rules that they had created, they lost track of what was the idea behind these laws. They lost track of what the idea was behind the Sabbath. The Sabbath was about restoration and making things better. And what did Jesus walk in and do? He restored somebody and made them better. And so we have all of these ways that we can't get well, that we can't heal ourselves. So how in the world do we get well? Only Jesus can make you well. Only Jesus can make you well. For 38 years, this guy had been an invalid. I don't know how long he'd be coming to the pool. We don't really know the answer to that question. But nothing else that he had tried, no doctors that he had seen, not the pool, anything else had made him well. The only thing that could make him well was Jesus Christ. And Jesus did what nobody else could do. And I think this is what John was saying here is, hey, it's not about the miracle. It's about the miracle worker. Now, the miracle is that you've been healed, but the miracle worker is the one who heals us. And Jesus still heals us today. We talked about that last week, how Jesus was in Cana in, in this royal uh, 
royal official. His son was, was in Capernaum, about 20 miles away. And Jesus standing in Cana healed his son in Capernaum. That Jesus doesn't have to be there to be there. And Jesus today is in heaven, and we're like, well, he's up in heaven, and my problem's down here. Jesus doesn't have to be here to be here. And I think sometimes we've lost track of the fact that we still live in the supernatural and that Jesus is still the same Jesus that he was then. He is now because he doesn't change. And so when we need healing, Jesus can heal us supernaturally. He can heal us in the moment. He can heal us right where we are. And so this morning as you're here and you're like, man, when you talk about wellness, I'm nowhere close to that. When you talk about hurting and pain and some of that affliction that's going on inside, that's me. Well, Jesus can heal, and that's the whole point of this story. It's about the miracle worker. Jesus can heal you where you are. Jesus, in this story, finds a guy who doesn't even know who he is. For some reason, Jesus chooses this guy. I mean, the place was filled with people who had physical infirmities, but Jesus chooses this guy. He doesn't even ask for faith for him. And then he goes back and finishes the job. That's how committed Jesus was to healing in his story. And he's every bit as committed to healing in your story. So the question is what? Do you want to get well? And what would be the obvious step is to say, okay, Jesus, I'm hurt. I'm broken. I'm struggling with this on the inside. Will you please make me well? Now, as part of this story here, Jesus did say to this man, take up your bed, take up your mat, and walk. And I do think that when we talk about healing, that there are some very practical things that we can do, and we can even see these from the life of Christ. And so let me just finish up this morning with some things that may be steps that you can take when you're asking Jesus to heal you, that you can be taking up your mat, as it were. And working in conjunction with what Jesus is doing in your life. Here's the first thing. Listen to his voice. Listen to his voice when he asks, do you want to get well? Because he might be asking you that this morning. Do you want to get well? And this is another one of those miracles that's really interesting to me because Jesus never had any physical contact with this man that we can tell. He just said what? Pick up your mat and walk. And Jesus may be speaking into your story, and it may just be that personal voice saying, it's like, I want to heal you. And it may be something that he wants to point out to you as you're reading through his word. Growth Guide this week explores what Jesus had to say after that story, and maybe there's something in there where Jesus speaks to you. But listen to his voice, because his voice is very personal, and his voice is very caring. And Jesus is all about healing people like me and people like you. Secondly, you need to let go of the past. For 38 years, this had dominated this man's life, and I don't know what your injury is or what your situation is, but it's probably been a pretty strong um, force and impact in your life. Somehow, and maybe by God's grace, but you need to let go of that past. It's not doing you any favors. And I struggle with this myself. When something doesn't go the way that I want it to, uh, or I don't do it the right way or whatever, and, and regret can be so much part of the story, and regret's never going to help you when it comes to healing. 
And Jesus says, let's deal with now and let's deal with healing. And maybe there's lessons to be learned back there, but we don't need to carry the weight of that with us. We need to learn to forgive. And maybe that's part of the past is that you have been injured by someone or someones, and you still carry that bitterness, and you still carry that, that angst even towards that person. And that's keeping you from healing. And maybe you just need to learn to forgive. And when you re- learn to forgive, what it does is it releases the power that somebody else holds over you, and it gives it back to you. And it gives you that opportunity to experience wholeness. Jesus, this was a theme of his life so much, wasn't it? Even when you think about the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if we're going to experience healing, forgiveness may be a key to that. Lean into others. I think healing, one of the ways that God often heals us, Jesus often heals us, is, is by bringing people into our lives who can serve in healing roles. Um, and, and maybe that's, a, that's maybe a friend, maybe that's a, a pastor, maybe that's a counselor or a small group leader. It, it, it could be a person like that. It could just be, uh, it could be a support group. It, it, it could be any number of things. But I think this is so important. For me, for me personally, dealing with brokenness and brokenness in my life, this is what God's used in, in more than any other thing, I think, is, is some people in, in a support group that I've been a part of now for like nine years that has, they've been able to speak truth into my life and that brings some, some healing there too. You think about Jesus, um, like the, the night before Calvary was in the garden, and he was not experiencing wellness. He was overwhelmed, and he got there, and what was the thing that he asked? He asked his disciples, could, could you pray with me? Because I think that's, that's part of this idea that others can come around, and, and sometimes the, the input, the, even the faith of other people can provide the encouragement and the healing that we need. And then I'd say this one last idea is to love your neighbor. And that's what Jesus was actually doing here. He walked into the pool and said, hey, who's my neighbor? Well, it's this guy right here who hasn't walked in 38 years, and I'm going to love my neighbor. But when we love our neighbor, it, it, it helps us to line up with who God made us to be. We were made to love God first, and then we were made to love our fellow man. And so as we line up with who God made us to be, it brings congruency into our life, and that's going to bring some healing. But it's going to get us out of ourselves, too. And so when we look at other people and say, okay, this person's hurting, and this person needs help, or maybe this person needs a favor, it actually benefits us in the long run. And so we can love our neighbor as well. So the question is this morning, do you want to get well. Because Jesus one day walked into a pool and said, hey, do you want to get well? And Jesus, as it were, walks into our lives today and he's pointing, you're sitting here this morning, this is a message from him to you. Do you want to get well? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love for us pictures and demonstrated in such a strong way by the fact that you sent Jesus Christ to this world who walked among men and women like all of us sitting here in this room. 
Jesus, we're grateful for the fact that, that you were tuned into the needs of people who weren't even looking for you. And you healed them. And maybe you've come in this morning here at Waterford Community Church and you need healing. But maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts there. Maybe you don't know who he is. But maybe this morning gives you a little bit of an idea. He wants to heal you, but he, he wants to heal you spiritually. He wants to forgive those sins. He wants to, to, to break some of those chains that, that seem to just weigh you down and hold you back. He wants to give forgiveness and freedom to you. And you can have that simply by believing in him, by confessing your need for him, by inviting him into your life. And I'd encourage you to do that where you sit this morning. Love to have a conversation with you about that if that's appropriate. Or maybe you're a Christ follower already, but this morning you need some healing. There's good news. Jesus is the God who heals. That's the sign. That's not just the miracle, but the miracle worker, and he wants to do that in your life. So maybe you just need to have that conversation with Jesus to say right now, Jesus, would you please bring healing? Maybe there's a practical step that we talked about that you need to grab onto because you know that if you would go in that direction, it would bring some healing in your life. Would you do that? Jesus, we want to experience your healing in our stories. We pray for that this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before the worship team finishes up, we've been working on our seven wonders as a church. And two weeks ago, we wondered how many chapters in the book of John we could read. And uh, we read well over 500 chapters. And then this past week, we were talking about how many days we could pray for our kids. And we had that little chart, seven ways that you could pray for your kids. And we were a little late in getting that response out to you. So that went out this morning. If you didn't get a chance to see it, check your email. But we'd love to hear back from you, and we'll post the numbers on that in our Waking Up Wednesday email that goes out. But I want to give you another wonder for this week. So WCC, I'm wondering this. How many people in your life can you do for them in a vein, in a similar way, what Jesus did for this guy who had a need, and Jesus said, let me help you. Now, I don't think you're going to heal him and help anybody who hasn't walked, walk again, okay? But my question is, how many, and they were called random acts of kindness, can we do as a church this week? Where we intentionally just watch to see the world around us and to say, can I help you with that? So here's an example, okay? I was coming out of Home Depot the other day. Home Depot is where I go and lose all my money. And, uh, and, and I lose a lot there. But I was coming out of Home Depot, and there was a, a, an older lady coming out with this cart, and uh, she was pushing it, and, and uh, I'm looking at that, and I'm like, I wonder what's in that cart. She gets to her car, and I walked over, and I was like, can you get that in your car? She's like, no. But she had just bought a big old dehumidifier that probably weighed like, I don't know, 40 pounds, something like that, and it's in her cart, not even like on a sled. But uh, I'm like, could I put that in your car for you? She's like, would you please? Little thing, right? But I think if we could learn to live like that, we might experience some healing in our lives too. So that's our challenge as a church, all right? To ask God to make you aware of the people around you that you can see and help. And to say, you know what? I'll do the little things that I can. Not to be recognized, but you can keep track of them. And then next week, we'll check to say, how many random acts of kindness have we done as a church? That's what we're wondering this week, so join us on that. Would you stand with us?
Worship team's going to finish us out with a song here. What are we singing? King of Kings, one of our favorites around here. Sing it out, and then you'll be dismissed. Have a great day.